Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, the place where you get your daily vitamins of sci-fi. How you doing, Miles? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Scott? I am fantastic. I got my coffee. It is it is like from Haiti, and it's potent stuff. It makes your hair stand on end when you drink it. I was going to say eat it, which you might as well be eating it too. I absolutely love it, though. Great. I'm ready to go. That sounds like some good coffee. It is. It is great coffee, which just mirrors the great show that we have tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a great show. We have an awesome guest that's going to be joining us in just a little bit, Mr. Dayton Ward himself, and we are going to interrogate him up one side and down the other. That will be good. It will be pleasurable. Well, anyways, family-friendly. Keep it family-friendly. We are so glad you're joining us tonight. My name is Scott Herzog. And I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are your hosts at this dining establishment tonight. As we mentioned earlier in the menu of the Science Fiction Podcast, we interrogate Star Trek novelist and writer and all-around geek, Dayton Ward. We also talk about Flash Forward and who plays a Hawkman in Smallville, Eminem sung in Klingon, like you really want to know. Where the Wild Things Are breaks records but also corrupts young minds, as we talk about. We have an awesome Captain America news, which we're excited about because, of course, it plays in the whole Avengers series. A new Avatar trailer is coming out and will be out, maybe even by the time you listen to this. We also chat about Hancock, Transformers, the 25th Anniversary Matrix of Leadership DVD, a little bit of Heroes talking there, and, of course, Battlestar Galactica, the plan, which Miles and I are eagerly awaiting with bated breath. We're jonesing for it. We are. It is at the top of my queue in Netflix, and I can't wait. I got to gotta time my queue just right, send it in like a Saturday so it arrives there Monday, and they send me out the plan first thing. I'll, I'll be watching as soon as it comes out. Yeah, I'm, I can't. I, I cannot wait. It's going to be good. In our show news tonight, only one item, and that is to say this. If there's anything that you want Miles and I to chat about regarding science fiction, hey, we're more than happy to do it. You just got to send it in to us. And there are many ways you can get that news to us. You can, of course, call our toll-free line. doesn't cost you one red cent. That's 1-888-508-4343. You can obviously email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. And you can also harass us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. And that'll all get that information to us. And we want to talk about the news that you're interested in. We want to talk about the news that we're interested in. And we want it to be kind of this community where we kind of do that sort of thing. So, you know, we want a little bit of give and take, Miles. A little bit of give and take. That's always a good thing. It is always a good thing, you know. My son is watching... Uh, is watching Wonder Pets, and they always talk about sharing and helping each other out, and that's what we want to do. Did you ever see that show? Uh, can't say that I have. Yeah, you aren't missing too much. But, you know, kids kids love it. So well, let's move into our trivia from last week. Our trivia question from last week was what? Okay, we asked a hero's question. Ernie Hudson guest starred in last week's episode and this week's episode. Um he uh, starred in two major movie genres back in the uh, 80s and 90s, and we asked you, the listener, what they were. Yeah, two major genre movies that he was in. And the prize, of course, was a Vanessa Angel print. And now, this is she's a beautiful person to meet in person, but it's great to have this piece of memorabilia signed directly from her. And um, the answer was varied, wasn't it, Miles? We had a lot of different answers for this. Right. Um, I would have accepted uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and The Crow. Yeah. They also said Space Hunter, The Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, and Congo, which was, I believe, was a kind of a sci-fi uh, Michael Crichton type of piece, right? Right. So, I mean, those would also be I, – I kind of put them in there and accepted them as well, but these were the major ones. He was sometimes classified as what? The fourth Ghostbuster? Yeah. 
Yeah, so notable, and it was good to see him. He's been in everything, as some of uh, you answered when you sent in your trivia. We had tons of people, Miles, send in trivia this week. It was great. And good. so kind of put everything into a hat, and I drew in. I drew a name a little bit earlier. And uh, the name of our winner is dun, 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 Amanda Black. So, Amanda, we will be contacting you for your prize of an S-Angel print, and we already know where to send it. So we will get it to you, mail it to you, Make sure it gets in your hands. So congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, definitely. Well done, well done. And we have a new trivia for this next week. Miles, fill us in. What is new oh. trivia? All right. Uh, what does uh, the movie La Bamba and Young Guns 1 and 2 and uh, Stargate Universe have in common? Ooh, that's a great question. I know, I know, I know, I know. Anyways, and the uh, prize for this week is a Smallville, a complete season six Smallville DVD set. So the season six of Smallville, we are giving away on DVD if you know the answer to this trivia question. And if you know the answer to this trivia, if you want to prove your geek cred, prove to us that you know what you're talking about, or prove to us that at least you know how to use IMDb, um, you can call us at 1-888-508-4343, email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com, or contact us at sci-fi diner on twitter.com. And uh, all those things will get that information to you. All right, without any further ado, let's move into our first promo this evening. And these are some great guys at Second Shift that do this kind of wacky promotional thing. It's a great podcast that you really need to check out. We're going to see you after the break with some courses and sci-fi news. In a world of magic and infinite possibility, three mild-mannered college students are mysteriously transported to that same world, where they must fight for truth, justice, and the minimum wage. Shauna Brown has crazy magical powers. Catherine Rinson is a crack. Mike? Uh, what's up, Kath? Mm, I mean, what's up, Catherine? Um, what you doing, Mike? Oh, uh, just documenting our heroic journey. Well, could you do it while washing the dishes? Yes, Shauna. Second Shift, now part of the Farpoint Media family. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, and uh, you just heard from our friends at Second Shift. We are now moving in to the news. In our Sci-Fi news, we do the 10, 10, and 10, 10 minutes of TV, Sci-Fi TV, 10 minutes of Sci-Fi movies, and 10 minutes of Sci-Fi DVDs, and we're a little bit flexible there, but that's kind of what we're aiming for, and we're going to start with our first course in Sci-Fi TV. So this is a show, this first topic is Flash Forward, a show that Miles and I both watch and love, and there's been a lot of buzz about, 14 million viewers can't be wrong, right Miles? No, this show is great. This show is great, although there's been a few complaints I've heard from people about the last episode being a bit wishy-washy, but uh, overall I've been really, really enjoying this show. One of the things that came across the Sci-Fi Wire this past week was a little uh, ditty about a biblical verse from Acts 2.17. And of course, 2.17 is, the, is 2 minutes, 17 seconds, of course, is what the people have lost consciousness in flash forward for, where they black out for that amount of time. This person had did a, had did a search for 217 in the Bible, and uh, Acts 217 kind of jumped out, and it kind of makes sense. The verse actually says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And so the question becomes, what is, is what if this is just more than a coincidence, more than just a Bible reference? Because after all, in the show, young kids like Charlie prophesy about seeing important events or people and things like D. Gibbons is a bad man or I have a bad dream and I dreamt there were no more good days. The bulk of us, older kids and younger adults saw visions of our own futures at a fixed date six months from now and older men and very older men saw their heartfelt dreams or hopes of life. Mark's pal saw his very much dead daughter alive in a fire-lit, out-of-focus afterlife sequence. So, I don't know, Miles, what do you think of this? I, I think it's very interesting. I, I, I like that the uh, writers are not afraid to, you know, touch on some spirituality to uh, help uh, tell the story. Uh, the, the real question, out of all the books in the Bible, there's how many 217s? A ton. Right. right? It could be just coincidence, but I'm guessing that there is... There's a reason they went with 217, and we're going to find that out whether it's biblical. Even if even if all it is is a terrorist group, right, that 
that has used the 217 as a way to control people. I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what, what they come up with that. It seems a couple of the characters, I mean, feel that this is uh, either a gift from God or um, a judgment from God. So right. there, there's definitely a lot of spiritual overtones uh, again, going on. Again, another show, like we like to say, we like shows that aren't afraid to embrace or toy with spirituality, both in good and bad. I mean, they're talking about all sorts of people's reactions, not just spiritual, right? I mean, it really shows, I think in society, if you saw this thing happen, you would see all these different reactions we're seeing this show. And that's, I, th I think that's what makes it so good. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you're still enjoying the show as of this last episode, Miles? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't know about you know what what people are griping about. To me, I, what I liked about what they did with John Cho's character, uh, Dimitri, um, they show him developing his you know his sense of mortality because he has has more information about his death, so it's definitely affecting him not in a small way. I like what they did last week with that. Yeah, and so it's great. I kind of wish they would have kept on the track of, you know, Mark kind of pursuing and finding out what's going on. But I think they did need to kind of stop and kind of deal with his, what's his character's name again? Dimitri? Uh, Dimitri's, yeah. Dimitri's character just a little bit and trying to flesh that out. So I, I kind of agree with you. Eddie Cameron asked, and so what do you think of Flash Forward? Because I tweeted that I was uh, caught up with Flash Forward finally. I got my wife into it, so my wife is addicted to Flash Forward. We watched like all four episodes on Sunday. You know, I still have to watch last week's episode, but up to now, I really liked it. It's a very interesting plot. The whole We Are Prophets Now idea is extremely fascinating to me. Good show. And uh, I would have to agree. I think it's a good show, and uh, I think we're both liking it, Miles. Yeah, I hope they keep uh, keep the good work. All right, let's move into a little bit of Stargate news. Actually, That's it's not really true. It's not really Stargate news. Smallville news. However, um, an actor from Stargate uh, will be um, making an appearance, though. Yeah, SG Michael Shanks has landed a role as Hawkman in the upcoming episode of the CW's Smallville. Shanks, whom you know as Dr. J Daniel Jackson, is one of two actors cast in the fledgling Justice Society episode on the Before Clark was Superman series, according to IGN. We've known since the summer that the Justice Society would be coming to Smallville, an episode written by comic book writer Jeff Johns. But so far, the exact characters who would be part of the team were not revealed. As it turns out, Hawkman and Dr. Fate will be both be part of Smallville, incarnation of the Justice Society. This goes hand-in-hand -hand with DC Comics, where both characters have notable histories with the team as various incarnations dating back to the 1940s. Another Stargate player, Brent Strait, who guested on Alanis and appeared in Stargate SG-1 Children of the Gods video game, will play Dr. Fate, the site reported. The episode is slated to air in January. Not clear whether Shanks will have to put on the uh, beaked cow winged hat of the classic Hawkman, but we paid money to see it. <laughs> and boy, would we ever. Michael Shanks, of course, has, has, has been in Stargate Universe, at least the opening episode when they're uh, kind of indoctrinating Eli into the uh, Stargate program. He's the guy in the videos. Yeah, I mean, I thought they did a good job. If they do come with a costume for him, I think they'll do a decent job. They, they did a decent job with the Doomsday costume. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be curious to see what they come up with. Yeah, well, and, they, and they did a good job with Green Arrow and, and all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that it's going to be good, and I've, I've always enjoyed Shanks in, uh, as Daniel Jackson, although our good friend Don wasn't so quick. We, of course, talked that Hawkman, I thought, was in the, the, episode, the series Flash, which you said you watched a little bit of. It was a short-lived series. I don't even think I finished the first season. It wasn't that good, in my opinion. It wasn't. I watched a few episodes. I don't recall any other superheroes being involved with it so yeah. i don't know i could be wrong it could it could have been just me of course miles you really have not experienced eminem until you've heard him in the original klingon so let me go ahead and just play a clip of this now so you can hear what miles and i heard just a moment ago Okay, that was Eminem in the original Klingon. Miles, first thoughts? Um, 
I don't think any Klingon would be caught dead uh, rapping to Eminem. See, I think what's sad to me a little bit is that the fact that he took the time to translate Eminem's lyrics into Klingon. Well, yeah. right? No life. That's, that's that. That's that's huge. That's pretty hardcore. But you have to understand, um, there are Klingon death metal bands out there that Klingon death metal bands, huh? Uh, that that sing in in Klingon. Well, you know, uh, and, and they did translate what the Bible into Klingon. Yeah, they did. Uh, do you have a copy? No, I don't. Yeah, wow. I wouldn't be able to understand it. <laughs> no. What if you get an audiobook, the Bible read in Klingon? That so, would be uh, that would be that would be interesting. Anyways, let's move on to our second course of sci-fi movies. On uh, this weekend's movie, sci-fi continues to make inroads with Where the Wild Things Are. Miles, take it away. Where the Wild Things Are breaks off office uh, records warner brothers picture where the wild things are has finished number one box office over the weekend pulling in an estimated 32.5 million in ticket sales where the wild things are directed by spike jones and adapted from maurice sendek's best-selling 1963 book of the same name follows 11 year old max records as he creates his own fantasy world a forest inhabited by wild creatures that crown him as their ruler the flick broke a record for Warner Brothers, setting its biggest opening weekend ever for an October release. Yeah, and this and this movie was it's not that's you know, thirty two million is certainly not any blockbuster, but you know, for October, this is good. This is a good sell and a good start for a movie. I don't even know what it cost them to make this movie, but they have to be happy about that. Oh, I I would think so. Yeah. Now did you have the book read to you as a kid? I probably did, but I honestly don't remember it that well. Yeah, I never did. I wrote it. Much, I wrote it. I, I read it. Uh, I read it much er, older as an adult, and uh, didn't have quite the same impact. I did get a chance to take Taisha, my daughter, along with us to go see it, and we actually went last Friday on a uh, father daughter date, and it was it was it was really cool to just kind of experience that with her. And, and the graphics were. I mean, the graphics were good. The the animation I thought was the Jim Henson did a great job with the uh, the monsters. It was it was quite intense at points. Uh, which I think was one of the complaints they said about taking young kids to it. But, you know, it was good. It was a good movie. Worth worth at least renting, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just a little bit of follow-up news for that. CNN reported that a kid bit his mom after seeing Where the Wild Things Are. Now, you have to understand that the premise for this is that there's a scene in there where Max, the main character, freaks out at his mom and bites his mom and then runs off and, of course, goes to the land where the wild things are. So this is a scene that they're kind of alluding to. So CNN had this to say about it. Movie critics were, on the whole, approving of the PG-rated film, though poor reviews were particularly scathing. I have the vision of, I have a vision of eight-year-olds leaving the movie in bewilderment. Why are these creatures so unhappy, wrote the New York New Yorker's David Denby. A heavy publicized film which opened the theaters last Friday and debuted on the top of the weekend box office seemed to do too much, said James Griffins of Detroit, Michigan. He thought much of the problem lay in the script by director Spike Jones and author Dave Eggers, which expanded on the 10-sentence children's book. So they really expanded it, if that's all there was. For Devin Adams, Chandler of Arizona, the problem wasn't keeping... His five-year-old daughter, Claire, interested. It was dealing with the aftermath of the violent scenes. She and her friends seemed to enjoy the film. But when she returned home, she threw her own tantrum, bit her mother very hard, something she does not do, and told her she was going to run away from home and go to where the wild things are, Adam said. Of course, we remember when the book itself was uh, first released, it would cause controversy among parents as well. So interesting, an interesting response to this movie, Miles. Wow. Yeah. You know. Well. It's going to corrupt your kids. Well, I guess it doesn't help that James Gandolfini uh, provides one of the voices for. uh, Yeah, probably, probably not. You know, I guess my whole question is, you know, they're kind of picking this out of the news is kind of printing this. But my question is this kind of like the kiss syndrome where, you know, in the 70s, it was bad to listen to kiss because it was like the Knights and Satan service. Right. Or, or, you know, Grand Theft Auto most recently in video games are like, this is going to turn our kids into criminals, you know, or the Da Vinci Code, you know, for books, you know, where this is going to corrupt the uh, the Catholic Church, you know, ban this. You know, we, we kind of get these things that we latch on to as being detrimental to society. And I'm wondering, especially in this case where parents hopefully are going to the movie with the kids, this is an opportunity for parents to sit down with kids, explain to them, you know, what Max was going through maybe, or maybe this is, 
even more reflective of parenting period. You know, if kids are doing or are reacting this sort of way to mer- par- uh, these movies and stuff, what do you think? That's a hard one to call. I mean, uh, a, a child may imitate what they see on TV on a movie like that, but then the parent just has to, you know, step up and just say, "Hey, that's you know unacceptable." I mean, you yeah. just you, you you don't bite your parent. You no, know? you can't. You can't act that way. Yeah, this is just, this is just a movie. It's make believe and. Uh, you, you know, that beha- that was bad behavior there and it's bad behavior in real life. Let me tell you what would have happened if I would have bit my mom. You know, there's a thing called a belt that typically holds up your hand, your pants, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah it, it, it wouldn't have been used for that. It had been it had been meeting my rear end quite profusely if I had done that. And it had been my dad doing it. I was just thinking your, your, your father probably would have gotten involved if uh, you would have uh, bitten your mother hard yeah, on yeah, hand. Yeah, not a thing that you want to be doing. I mean, moving right along, um, some Captain America news. Uh, Joe, yes, I'm psyched for this. I am uh, too. Joe Cusada says Captain America will rock your socks off. While attending his very own question and answer panel at a New York-based uh, convention, Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief uh, Joe Cusada has provided fans with a tease about Marvel's upcoming feature film, The First Avenger, Captain America. I've seen a couple of outlines and initial screenplay, and it's going to rock everyone's socks off, he said. It's very unexpected, the kind of movie it is. Cusada also confirmed that the film's story set up the lead into the Avengers, adding that it does so in a fantastic way. So far, all we know about Captain America is it takes place during World War II and is very Indiana Jones-like in theme, with some sources claiming the sets are simply amazing. Cusada also confirmed that they have a wish list of actors that they want to play Captain America, but the names will on the list will remain a mystery. Captain America will be released July 22nd, 2011. You know, there are a lot of good movies coming out in 2011, but this is certainly one that I'm looking forward to. There's a lot of expectations. I mean, they, they don't uh, they don't even have a cast yet, but they seem to think it's going to, you know, and I, I have no reason to doubt them that this movie is going to be great. Yeah. You know, Captain America was the very first comic book hero I remember ever meeting, not physically, but meeting in comics. Okay, good. Kind of as a special place in my heart. Yeah, so it should be good. I'm looking forward to it, and of course, we're looking for, uh, forward to Iron Man two and all that good jazz as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all these, these Marvel movies coming out. ComingSoon.net has confirmed that 20th Century Fox will be debuting a new three and a half minute trailer for James Cameron's Avatar. So if you didn't get enough from the trailer they released, they give you another trailer this Friday in theaters and online October 29th. So be looking for that unless you're going to the movies this weekend. And it opens in conventional 3D theaters and IMAX 3D theaters on December 18th. And uh, Miles, are you looking forward to this movie? Um, I am. I, I you know, I know. It seems to be hyped up a lot. I'm not as maybe Jones better as some people are, but um, it does sound intriguing. Yeah, it should be good. Are there any other movies this winter from here to December that you're looking forward to? Honestly, I'm not sure what's coming out at yeah. that time. So, Well, there's um, there's Twilight, uh, the Star Trek DVD we're looking forward to, obviously. 2012 is coming out. The Box. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, 2012, I'm not, I mean, it interests me. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters or wait to rent it. I don't know. I, those are the things coming out. I, I, 2012, I wouldn't mind seeing it in theaters. A good disaster movie. Of course, the guy that did ID4 did that. And uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking forward to it from that perspective. And Avatar, Avatar is one I might see in theaters. You know, I may give it a, a chance because James Cameron's behind it. So. Yeah, and he would be the one. He'd be the one that's kind of, he's the driving force here. And of course, this week I was mentioning earlier that I finally saw Hancock and I enjoyed it. It uh, it wasn't the best thing Will Smith ever did, but uh, it was a good movie, and I I thought that the the idea of him kind of discovering who he was I thought was an important role. I certainly didn't see the twist where the guy's wife was a superhero. Yeah, that came out of left field. Oh, it does! Like boom, you're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Well, you know, and you know, there's something there because because she's looking at him funny the whole time. But uh, it it was good. It's this tale of redemption, and oh, I liked it. It was good. And it wasn't your normal superhero movie. I mean, uh, we, I mean, we see Hancock as a very flawed individual. Oh, and, absolutely. And even the uh, the law doesn't. The authorities doesn't. Would rather he just butt out. I mean, because you know, even when he stops, you know, some bad guys, he causes a lot of damage. You know, right. The fact. Well, you know, and that, and that's so true. And I think this is one of the things I liked about it is. When was the last time you saw a drunk superhero? I mean, the, 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 and you're right. It, he's flawed. 
He is very human, and yet they make you feel bad for him. And I like that. Right, and and like you said, there's you know there's a guy trying to help him redeem himself. Yeah. All right, let's move into our last bit of science fiction news tonight. Our third course of science fiction news comes in DVD video news. Miles, talk about Transformers. All right, this is gonna this is gonna rock. Uh, Transformers 25th anniversary Matrix of Leadership edition, the complete series. Five retrospective featurettes, including new, in-depth interviews with those most responsible for the success of the Transformers franchise. Two of these featurettes are exclusive to this set, including a conversation with comic writer Bob Budinensky, I'm not sure if I pronounced his last name right, and a voice cast reunion. The reunion features Jack Angel, Ramjet, Michael Bell, Prowl, Greg Berger, Grimlock, Arthur uh, Burkhardt, Devastator, Corey Burton, Spike Witwicky, Richard uh, Godauer, Rodimus Prime, Neil Ross, uh, Slag, uh, Frank Welker, Megatron. Uh, there's going to be two concept art galleries, archival Hasbro toy commercials, all 98 episodes of the dialogue scripts, three full scripts with original handwritten notes include uh, Transport to Oblivion, Starscream's Brigade, and The Revenge of Bruticus. We are selling it in our store for $129, and it's a savings to you because it's, it's going to be uh, retailing at $169. Yeah, it's a expensive series, but you know, hey, Christmas is around the corner. You might know someone that would love that set, and um, you know, if you need someone, if you really need someone to buy a gift for, Miles and I would love for you to think of us in that purchase. I would not be opposed to getting that as a gift. Yes, and to, if you need our address, we'll give you an address where to send it. We would be happy to share that with you. Miles, did you watch? You watched the Transformers growing up, right? I did. I enjoyed it very much. So this kind of plays into the whole nostalgic thing and so on. It does. And it was, and for, you know, granted, I mean, back in the mid eighties, they were using these shows to be, to push the toys and everything. Some of them were really good. Yeah. Good. And the last bit of DVD news is of course this week or this coming week on the 27th Battlestar Galactica. The plan is released on Blu-ray and uh, DVD, regular DVD. And it is worth the wait. We've been hearing lots of good news about it here. You get the background of the Cylon invasion and of course what led us down the path of Battlestar Galactica. And it is, it, it should be awesome. We are really looking forward to it for 23 bucks. You can own the Blu-ray copy. That's a fabulous deal for, a blu-ray and it 17 is. bucks for the dvd it kind of saves you 15 dollars on either one that you buy and it's good it's good you really need to check it out you can buy both of those on my sci-fi store.com and i know like we said earlier that this dvd is sitting at the top of my queue it sits on top of mine as well that's all the news that we are going to share with you tonight we're gonna real quickly visit our guys from the dollhouse podcast is hearing their promo and then from there we're going to be talking with author, novelist, writer, extraordinaire for the Star Trek series, and much, much more, Dayton Ward. We'll see you after the break. The Dollhouse Podcast is a fun, informal, and informative podcast about Joss Whedon's television series, Dollhouse, where we discuss everything about the show. We talk about the actors. When I see them playing this new character, I believe this is a new character. We speculate about the implications of the imprinting technology. It's like a, a videotape. You can erase and record it. But if you keep doing that, it breaks down. Is the human brain kind of like that? You know, if you keep overwriting it. And of course, we're chock full of tangents. If I die, I'm going to be wedged. Oh, who do you want to be imprinted on? Somebody really hot. So get active and tune in to The Dollhouse Podcast at thedollhousepodcast.com. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Miles, we have a very special guest here tonight. We do. And uh, this is none other than Dayton Ward, uh, who we met at Shore Leave this past year. Miles, had you met Dayton before? Um, no, I have not, um, except through um, some email exchange and through uh, a TrekCast. Right, through TrekCast and hearing him over there because he's been on there for some time. Anyways... Dayton's been around, uh, has written tons of Star Trek novels, and uh, has been a, probably written a lot more that we're going to talk about. Dayton, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it is awesome to have you here. It's been awesome to just kind of follow you on Twitter and just find out about who you are a little bit. 
for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say if you're following me on Twitter, it's probably more for worse than better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You always, you know, retweet some of these, some of the most interesting conversations, like the people at Walmart. And... Well, you know how people retweet stuff from their friends list, and your friends don't necessarily overlap with their friends list, so it takes on this viral thing. You know, particularly if somebody says something really funny. <laughs> oh, oh. So, and there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. You know, who is Dayton Ward? I kind of, when I when I thought about that question, I kept picturing that whole Eminem song, right? Will the real Dayton Ward please stand up? But yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the, the real Dayton Ward is a 40-something IT guy by day. Uh, and then at night, you know, I'd put on my secret uh, costume and try to be a writer. I've uh, been doing that professionally for about, 12 years now. So you've been working two jobs, basically. Yeah, two jobs. <laughs> and then, uh, now I'm a father, so that's three jobs. So, <laughs> it is. So I essentially decided I'm not going to sleep until the year 2028 20, or something. I think that's what I figured out. So, <laughs> so lots of caffeine or something in your system to keep I, you going. Yeah, I'm main, I mainline Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever works, whatever works. That's my gateway drug. <laughs> Tell us, how, how would sci-fi fans know you? Most would probably know me through Star Trek. Um, I have written a lot of Star Trek material for pocketbooks over the last 10 years or so. Uh, I got my start uh, with their amateur writing contest, Strange New Worlds, that started in 1997. I had a story selected for that first anthology and then managed to put a story in the following two years' anthologies. And then at that point, I rendered myself eligible for what they were calling an amateur contest. Uh, and the editor there at Pocketbooks at the time, John Ordover, asked me if I was interested in writing a Star Trek novel for him. So being stupid, I said, sure. <laughs> uh, and the rest, as they say, is a mystery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. kinda, I really sort of backed my way into it. Yeah, you, I mean, it's definitely not the road that most people take. And I've been very lucky along the way. Obviously, I've been able to work with a lot of really neat writers and made a lot of friends along the way. So it's been quite a ride. Dayton, did you, have, did you go to school for uh, writing? No, not really. Uh, I mean, I didn't. I didn't really have an aspiration to be a writer when I was a kid growing up. That wasn't my uh, my dream job, uh, or wasn't my dream vocation, or or anything like that. Um, I kind of fell into writing just sort of uh, as something to do one one time, uh, not to dismiss it and the hard work that other writers do. I just kind of took it up because I wanted to try my hand at it because I'd been reading other people's fiction and decided that it might be something I would try for fun. And so I wrote a lot of fan fiction. And then eventually Pocketbooks came along with this contest, which was essentially licensed fan fiction, to put it very simplistically. And so I was essentially dared by a friend of mine to enter a story in that first contest. Ooh. And so I took her dare, uh, you know, because she called my manhood into question, and you just can't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. I, so I submitted a story, and that's what happened. Oh, Awesome. When you said fan fiction, essentially that's what a Star Trek novel is. It's an extended piece of fan fiction that you kind of have been licensed to write. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when you boil it away, yeah, it is licensed fan fiction. But you know, the the big the big difference between true fan fiction and what the studio lets you do is, you know, of course they get the final say, and they have expectations on how they expect properties to be treated and their characters to be treated. So you're not going to be able to do just anything. Whereas in the world of fan fiction. You know, the sky's the limit. You can do anything you want. Right. Um, and there's a lot of fun to be had there. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing fan fiction stories, and I still, you know, have fond memories of the ones that I wrote. So uh, it was a – I don't know that it's a stepping stone for everybody, but it just happened to work out that it was a stepping stone for me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, besides uh, Star Trek, what, what other sci-fi did you grow up with or did you like or do you like? Well, I grew up in the early 70s, so at the time, that was Star Trek and reruns on TV were you know, just getting going. And you know, Planet of the Apes and 2001 were probably the, the, the highest caliber, quote, film science fiction going on at that time. Then the rest of it was all the B-movies you know, from the 50s and the early 60s. So I watched a lot of that stuff on Saturday afternoon TV, you know, like The War of the Worlds and The Time, or the time Machine and The Day the Earth Stood Still and – I read a lot of science fiction when I started going to school, uh, and I read a lot of stuff like Joe Haldeman and Robert Heinlein and Arthur Clarke, and I still read those authors to this day. So that's where I kind of got my start in science fiction. But I mean, in the 70s, it was also the era of you know, Space 1999 and Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers and 
you know, a lot of stuff that's probably best forgotten. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's on TV right now that uh, you're watching on sci-fi? Or do you watch sci-fi TV? Well, let's see. Right now, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot. Let's put it this way. I have a big DVR. Um, <laughs> and then I try to carve it out in, in uh, chunks when I get a chance. Right now, I guess the closest thing to sci-fi that I'm watching with any regularity is that new Flash Forward. Ooh. Uh, and even, you know, that's kind of borderline, at least the way they're showing it on TV, it's borderline sci-fi. Um, but I've only caught the first three episodes of that one and everything else is on the, whatever's coming for that is on the DVR. Right. And I watch a lot of, I catch a lot of stuff on movies, but, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not, I, I tried the new Stargate and I wasn't really that jazzed by it. Um, uh, but I was a big fan of the original Stargate movie and the SG one series. Yeah. So. And not, of, not of Atlantis. Not so much. I, I don't have any active dislike for it. I just didn't like it as much as I liked right. uh, SG. But I love stuff like Farscape, the new Galactica. Um, those are huge fair. I mean, I really got a kick out of the new Galactica. Oh, that was awesome. Miles and I both like that. Yeah, and uh, we we also are watching Flash Forward and love it. And I'm oh, looking Flash forward to the new. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new reboot of V that's coming uh, next month. I was a big fan of the original miniseries back in the '80s, so. I'm looking forward to seeing the new take on it. Yeah, well, and especially uh, they have the uh, girl from Firefly at the helm of that. So, well, how can you go wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, you can't. You can't. All the <laughs> well, reason to watch the, it. The, the previews I've seen, you know, I, I'm in. I'm definitely in for to see how it goes. Um, and then we'll. I mean, hopefully ABC won't mess it up. I mean, it oh, seems man. like they're going to schedule it and then immediately preempt it for the Olympics. So I don't. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know. I, I, yeah, what four episodes before the Olympics and then not till March? I mean, how do you build an audience that way? Well, that's funny though. Is you know the original miniseries was four hours, <laughs> two hours, two hours over two nights, and that was it until and that was going to be it. You know, then they finally decided to do this the the sequel miniseries, which the original guy wasn't even involved in. Right. So. I guess there's precedent, but yeah, but we're a different viewing audience now. Our attention spans are shorter, and we want everything now, now, now. So, <laughs> yeah. isn't that the truth? I'm one of them too. So, I mean, it's not like I'm putting myself up above everybody. I'm in there too. Like, what the hell are you thinking? And wait until March. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it too. Dayton, I wanted to ask you since you're to flash forward. Um, are you have you uh, checked out any of uh, other Robert Robert J. Sawyer's work? I haven't, but you know what? This is enough to make me go and pull some of his backlist. Um, here's the thing. As much science fiction as I watch, and, and you can call what I write science fiction, you know, if, you know, charitably, Star Trek is science fiction. Um, I don't really get to read a lot of science fiction these days um, for fun. And I don't get to read a lot for anything for fun. Mm -hmm. And I tend to gravitate away from whatever it is I'm writing for leisure reading. So if I'm writing something that's science fiction, then I tend to gravitate toward like a mystery or a techno thriller or a nonfiction book. So I don't get a chance to really read a lot of luxury science fiction these days, but I'm putting his books on my to be red pile. Well, if you do, I, I've read um, his hominid series and uh, there was one he did on time travel, which I, I don't remember the name of, you know um, what? But, it was, but it was quite, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but you're not the first person to recommend that one to me. So I'm, um, I've, I got to go out to Amazon and figure out which ones I want to try. So mm -hmm. now, have have you read the novel Flash Forward? No, I haven't. No. Like I said, I I hadn't really touched any of Sawyer stuff until this, and I, I it when I saw the name of the show on the fall lineup, I thought that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? And I, I knew of the novel, but I had never read it. So I'm gonna read it and see how much they've borrowed. Or not borrowed from the original, you know, book. I heard mm -hmm. I heard an interview with him on uh, Slice of Sci-Fi, and and he was just talking about how the, the concept and the idea remains kind of intact, but uh, the premise and and how they go about it, and even the time length that they black out is a bit different. And uh, uh, he wasn't giving too much away, but it sounds like he kind of gave his blessing on the show. So well, I I would imagine, and, and I haven't seen this interview, and I haven't seen any interview of his, but I I would imagine they what, they speed it up a little bit for purposes of TV, you know, like oh, it's absolutely. not so long. Isn't it something like it takes over? Isn't the book the flash forwards are twenty one years in advance instead of six months or something? Yeah, something like that. So yeah, I, I can get that because who knows if they're going to even be around this you know next season? So yeah. I guess they're going to try to tell if they're if they're smart, they'll tell a complete story in one season and then. Maybe try something new next year. Yeah. Well, it sounds like they they got the uh, twenty two episodes this season, so we'll see what happens. I just heard that. I guess I guess they got the back nine ordered. So yeah. um, good for them. 
Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good show. Well, they should with what fourteen million viewers the first the first episode. They should definitely be ordering a full season. ABC would be stupid not to. But I've seen yeah, they stu- need a I, hit. I, I've seen <laughs> I've seen stupider things. So who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, with ABC, my, I think the one thing I used to watch with any regular regularity on ABC was Monday Night Football. <laughs> and then when they moved that to ESPN, I really didn't have anything to watch on ABC anymore. So oh man, they need a hit. They do so. definitely need a hit. Well, uh, I like to ask you, uh, for me as a Star Trek fan, one of the things that frustrates me sometimes is that um, on Star Trek, often the producers don't follow through and leave lots of loose ends at the end of an episode. However, as a reader of Star Trek novels, I like that the author will pick up the ball and run with it and take those loose ends and come up with a really great story and then follow through and follow up on that episode. Um, I heard at the Shirley Convention that uh, Star Trek novel authors uh, love loose ends. Uh, do you agree with that? And if you do, if you if you do or you don't, can you elaborate that on that? Well, I'll 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 take your approach. Yes, as a viewer watching the show, and if that was all I was watching, I would be saying, why don't they follow that up? Why don't they revisit that character? Or why don't they take us back, you know, to that planet? Where as a Star Trek writer, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm writing that down. That's an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah, going through an episode and looking at the little dangling plot threads that are potential story springboards, you know, it's a gold mine, you know, 700 plus hours of, of material to go through. So, yeah, as a writer of Star Trek fiction, it is it, not that every story is necessarily a dangling plot thread from some episode or a movie, but, you know, it's always nice to explore where things might have gone if, right. if, if you know, if they had the chance to go back. So, um, I love the. Yeah, I love the Mirror Universe novels. Well, and and any any episodes I did with the Mirror Universe, um, I'm really also enjoying the Vanguard series. Uh, um, you'll forgive the expression, but it's almost as if they like took Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and but but told it in the original series timeline. It's not Deep Space Nine, but it's kind of that way in some respects. Um, whose idea was to, was to get that series? Uh, and can you tell us how it came to be? Well, Vanguard, um, for benefit of the readers who or listeners who may not be familiar, is a original series for print that is set during the same time frame as Kirk's five-year mission from the original series. Uh, it takes place in a different part of space, different set of characters, different whole mission. And it was the idea – it was the brainchild of uh, editor Marco Palmieri and writer David Mack. They co-created the, the series and developed the characters and the overall story arc. And they fleshed out a Bible, you know, with where the story would go from A to Z, and but they left the format loose enough that we could necessarily we could tell other stories along the way as we were pursuing this core plot arc. And I, Kevin Dillmore, my writing partner, and I were were brought in to write the second book after Dave wrote the first book in the series called Harbinger. Um, Kevin and I were brought in to sort of. Uh, take the baton from Dave for one book and give it a spin and put our own spin on the characters and advance the plot line to a certain point or plot lines because there are multiple plot lines going on in this series. Right. And at, after we turned in that book, um, which was called Summon the Thunder, editor Marco Palmieri decided that he liked the idea of a two-author team tandem going back and forth between the two books. Or between the books. So like Dave would write the odd-numbered books and Kevin and I would write the even-numbered books and we would just bat it back and forth. And it became a game of sorts between us as we tried to one-up each other <laughs> in each successive book. So, you know, Dave would blow up a ship in the first book. We'd blow up a planet. You know, he, we'd blow up a planet. He blows up a whole solar system, and, you know, or, or worse, to, you know, one joking example. But um, it's, it's been a lot of fun because what happens is even though we know the core storyline – we don't necessarily know everything that's going to happen in a particular book. So we'll lay out our outline and we'll give it to the editor and he'll approve or disapprove any elements of it. And I guess this last time around, he didn't share the outline from our book with Dave <laughs> until after we had turned in our manuscript. So Dave sat down to write what is going to be book five that's coming later this year. And only then did he get to read what we had written for book four. And so, of course, if you've read book four, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but it's a big holy God moment at the end of the book four. <laughs> and I, we essentially just threw it over the wall to see what he'd do with it. I mean we, there were reasons for it that will become clear as the story unfolds, but it was more you – know, it was our response to, what, to something he did to us at the end of his third book. <laughs> it was revenge. It so. was. <laughs> and did you get any response from him? 
Oh, he was very pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, in a good nature way, he called me up and said, you know, what the hell are you doing? And uh, I think I heard an interview where he was talking to somebody where he cursed our names for leaving him uh, in a, in a, in a uh, lurch like that. Not really. I mean, we, uh, we had a very long conversation about where to go from there and how this fed into the storyline. And we weren't just doing it for the, for the joke moment. Um, it all works out and it actually added a layer of complexity to the storyline that wasn't previously there. So, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's as much fun collaborating with the editor and the other, and Dave, uh, as it is actually writing our books. So Awesome. You know, I uh, we had a friend of ours who actually wrote in when I'd asked about questions for tonight. And I kind of forwarded this one just to kind of give you a heads up for it. But you sure. know, if, if you're a you know if you are a fan of the movies or a fan of maybe some uh, the 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 trek that's been out there, especially the new movie, and you want to get into the novelizations, is, is there? I mean, there's there are a gazillion novels out there. You go to the Star Trek section of any major bookstore, <laughs> you go to Amazon.com, and you type in Star Trek novel, and you get, you know, 1,001 novels. Where does, where does one start? Well, I guess you'd have to start with, you know, where's your favorite? Do you have a favorite series or, you know, more than one favorite series, and then uh, pursue the books that tie into that series? Um, that's a good starting place. I mean, if, so, for example, if you're a DS9 fan, and there are a lot of those guys lately, you know, guys and gals out there who love DS9. You know, there's a series of books that take up the story from where the show left off. And they've been going strong now for going on five years. So the plot lines continue even after the end of the, the, the actual television series. Mm-hmm. Um, all, of the, all of the 24th century era shows, Next Generation, DS9, Voyager, they all have continuations beyond their last film or television episode. Uh, and those have been executed to varying degrees of commercial and critical success. Um, but you know, each each one has been taken by a different editor, and they've got a different idea. They're, of course, they're trying to make them unique in of, of themselves instead of just tying into one another for one big happy story, you know, wank. Um, but DS Nine, I think, is the one that's probably got the most complexity in terms of its evolving storylines beyond the television show. Mm. Uh, only because it's around it's been around the longest and it was sort of the first one to really try this you know a a really comprehensive approach to a post-series storyline now i mean i just go ahead oh i just finished reading um the last voyager novel unworthy uh it's interesting to see where they're going with uh voyager in the uh um in the extended universe yeah cursed cursed and buyer is trying to bring that that weight of storytelling that's been enjoyed by the DS9 books to the Voyager series. Um, you know, Voyager, when they got back to the Alpha Quadrant, you know, they were going to be next generation two. So they had to come up with something unique to get to give Voyager its own identity. So uh, I thought they, I thought she succeeded. I was, uh, I, uh, she'd be happy to hear that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> she really poured a lot of blood and sweat into those two books. She labored for a long time on those two books. Um, yeah. not just because she had a, pretty tall order, you know, which was continuing the storyline, but also because she was trying to work in and around the havoc that David Mack, you know, wrought with his Destiny trilogy, (laughs) which for those who are, for those who don't follow at home, you know, he basically upended the 24th century Star Trek era with his Destiny trilogy. So, and they're still picking up the pieces from that. (laughs) Well, you know, that was, that was an enjoyable series and a hard series to read at the same time. The destiny, the, the, the destiny, uh, um, hard in what way? Just, um, I, I, I guess, um, maybe just shattered my illusions. I mean, uh, <laughs> you think, I mean, well, the Federation just dealt doing a, a devastating war with uh, the Dominion, and they're you know pick up the pieces from there, and then you know the Borg basically come in and nearly decimates the Federation, um, and. At least for the TV series, it seemed like they had achieved so much, and, and but the Borg almost brings um, some Federation worlds to like um, as much as 21st century to allows almost like a third world type thing, which will make for good storytelling. Well, I think it was important. The Destiny trilogy serves as a, a nice. Uh, reminder that you know tie-in fiction doesn't have to be cookie cutter, clean ending. Always stay in the confines of the tie-in box, you know, that the producers of the shows, the movies allow you to operate within. 
Um, now that Star Trek, you know, prior to the new movie, Star Trek was largely inactive as far as any television or film production. So this, you know, there was nothing going on. And the studio essentially allowed Pox to chart its own directions with some of these stories, with some of these series, with the, with the established characters. And, you know, for tie-in fiction has a, has a reputation, and deservedly so, of having to remain within the parameters of you know, the producer's wishes so far as the individual property is concerned. You can't go this way. You can't go too far afield. You can't do X with this character. You can't kill people off, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But now there's a lot of freedom and, you know, nobody's safe and we can develop new characters or we can kill off old characters. Not that that's something that's high on the list of things to do, but it just is – it's a way of demonstrating that this doesn't have to be um, – generic bland mediocre rip, you know same different month you know new month different book type storytelling so uh, i for one i'm kind of uh, jazzed about it because a lot of those star trek novels from the 80s were kind of they they felt the same you know it seemed like the same adventure every month so you know that kind of uh, uh brings in a question i had and i know that this been a question uh, i'm more familiar with the star wars universe because it's kind of what I grew up on in the, in the tie-in novels there. And the discussion is always what's canon, what's not canon, what do we establish as right, and is that even a discussion worth having? How does that play into the Star Trek universe, especially as a writer? I mean, are there any novels that are considered canon, or is it the movies, the TVs? I mean, what do you, how do you answer that? The general rule of thumb for Star Trek is the television series and the films are canon. Everything else is not uh, there are no canon novels, and uh, not that that not that writers of TV episodes haven't gone to the novels maybe for inspiration on from time to time, but that doesn't make that novel canon. Um, and it's an important. I mean, to me, a lot of people make a lot out of the canon debate than than really it deserves. Um, the only people who really should care about canon are the people who make the films and the TV shows or the people who are required to abide by them when they're writing licensed, you know, comic books or novels or role-playing games or video games or things like that. Everybody else should just have a good time. I don't know why everybody obsesses about, you know, I can't read this novel and enjoy it because it's not canon. I don't understand. I mean, I, that's not my particular kink. I can't really uh, get understand that. I don't, I don't need a guy in Hollywood to tell me that this book is real before i can read it and enjoy it yeah well you know and that's uh and that's uh there's a lot of truth to that. i mean you as a writer certainly are not confined then by trying to you know worry about what's canon can i say this can i not say this can i have this character do this it certainly frees you up as a writer not to have to think about canon well i mean you know again we're required to remain consistent with right. the canon as it is when we're writing our book now if a you know if a television episode comes along a year from now and and wipes out whatever i did in my book that's just the way it goes, and I've had that happen. So, uh, you know, you, you you drink a beer, you take a shower because that's life in the <laughs> NBA. So, um, no, I mean, it's, but I mean, every Italian writer knows that going in that uh, their work may be superseded by a, a film or a television show or whatever. That's just the way it is in this in the Italian world. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know too. I don't get too deep into the canon wars as far as Star Wars is concerned. But you know, their books aren't canon either. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> so, no, so. They, no, they definitely aren't. But now, now that does bring up a question, though. Do you write anything but Star Trek, or do you write anything else uh, other than Star Trek? Maybe is a better oh, way yeah. of saying that. Uh, I'm. I have more Star Trek output than I do other stuff, but I do write other stuff as well. To date, I've got two science fiction novels of my own that have been published, and a third is on the way. It'll be out next year. Um, I've done some science fiction and horror short stories. Um, as far as other tie-in work, uh, Kevin Dilmore and I wrote a novel for the series The 4400 uh, that came out last year. My output is largely Star Trek, but I'm trying to carve my way into doing more original fiction. And I read that book, and I, and I enjoyed it immensely. I'm uh, sorry, which one? Uh, uh, what? One you and well, I, I've enjoyed them all, but um, the one that you you and Kevin wrote, uh, Wet Work. Uh, oh, Wet Work. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you. We had a lot of fun right now, and because we are we were fans of the show from day one, so when the opportunity came along to to write a book in that series, we jumped at it. Um, yeah. And I'm glad the, the show's was funny. Well, I mean, we were writing it while the show was still on, and then but before it was canceled before we even turned in our manuscript. So. Oh. 
uh, we were, you know, operating within the confines of quote canon. There's that word again. Yeah. Uh, so we picked, you know, because of the heavily serialized nature of that show, we tried to write a story that could fit kind of between a couple of episodes uh, before the, the serialization really got out of hand, as is the nature of an Irish Stephen Bear show. Uh, that guy loves to serialize, and it's more fun for that. Um, so we were able to pick a, a couple of episodes and kind of stick a adventure right there between them, and we think we did it pretty seamlessly. Uh, we most of the fans who've written us about the book say that it fits perfectly within the the show's framework. So we're happy with the result. Well, that has to make that has to be feel good as an author then getting that sort of feedback as well. What is the uh, what are the names of the you, you mentioned that you're working on you work you did you released two novels that were kind of independent your own what were the names of those the first one was called the last world war it came out in 2003 it's sort of a military science fiction book um, set in the present day but you know aliens come to earth and kick all our asses <laughs> I'm sorry uh, hopefully I hopefully I'm allowed to curse sorry uh, about that we don't, we don't like to, be, to or, you can bleep it you can yeah, bleep beep. it um, and then uh, the other one was called The Genesis Protocol, which was sort of a Jurassic Park meets Predator with a little bit of Southern comfort thrown in for flavor. I did that for a small publisher called Phobos Books, which was actually headed up by John Orver, who had at that time left Pocket Books to start his own publishing. Or he got involved in a, with a smaller publishing company. He was trying to uh, start up his own little imprint there. So I sort of – he invited me to write a book for him, and uh, we hashed out that storyline based on an idea he gave me. And it went from there. And then the, the third book is that's coming out next year is a sequel to The Last World War called uh, Counter-Strike. Uh, I finally get to finish that story that's been hanging there for about – it'll be seven years when this book comes out. Wow. And that's due out when? It comes out April 2010. All right. All right. Well, that'll be good. I'm, be, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting hold of it and reading it. So I got to read the first one. So World War, the first – the last World War, so – It'll be good. Uh, just one other question before we get some details and uh, kind of wrap up the interview. Uh, we, we, of course, were having this conversation on Twitter. And uh, for those of you that weren't following this, uh, Rondi Moore came out with a conversation about writing Star Trek and the whole, whole idea of, of, you know, how easy it was to write the scripts because you didn't worry about the terminology and you would just insert tech into the script. Uh, and we had this conversation, and you had kind of responded to this on the forums, but for those people that may not you know, hop to the forums and listen to it, I thought maybe we could just clarify the statement that we kind of put into our last show, unbeknownst to you, and we kind of fleshed out. If you wanted to just comment a little bit more on what, what he meant by writing tech in Star Trek. Well, I don't know if it's what he meant, but this is what I took from it. Um, okay. I had heard him answer this question about writing the scripts and, and inserting the word tech in lieu of some string of techno babble. My understanding was that they kind of knew what they wanted to do, but they didn't necessarily know how to say it. And they weren't getting hung up on the terminology. They were just, you know, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll put the word tech here and the science consultant will help me put the right terminology in here. Um, that's how I took it because that's a largely how I've done it when I come up upon, you know, when I come upon a scientific or an engineering principle that I don't fully understand, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to stop what I'm doing to go digging into a book or the internet to try to flesh out this idea at that moment. I'd rather keep writing the story because the words are flowing. So I put a marker in my manuscript to come back to it so I can figure out, you know, I, like I said, I know the nuts and bolts about what I want or the general idea of what I want to say. I just don't know how to convey it in a way that makes sense to the reader. So I just mark it in my manuscript and I keep pushing forward. And I come back to it, and then I rewrite my manuscript as necessary once I figure out what it is I'm actually trying to put in there. I think that's what he meant, and, and that makes sense. I, in his world, you know, of television writing, they operate under such ridiculous deadlines that they have to do it in a team environment. They, you know, one guy can't do it all, and that's why they hire these consultants. That's why military shows have military consultants, and uh, you know, Sequest had you know Robert Ballard as a science and undersea exploration consultant because they didn't know that stuff. Um, I, I think that's where he's coming from, but I think he kind of glossed over that for the purposes of that question in that venue more for comedic effect than anything else. Yeah. Um, well, it certainly, I mean, certainly was effective. Go ahead. Well, I mean, he's, if you've watched the shows where he played a larger role than simply a staff writer, because that's, that's important to remember, on Next Gen, he was largely just a staff writer. Right. Whereas DS9, you know, he was more in the he, – he, he had a larger hand in the direction of the series – and definitely, you know, when he went to Battlestar Galactica, when he was running the whole show, you could tell he really never liked 
all that technical jargon. Yeah. Um, uh, Battlestar Galactica pretty much avoided it as much as possible. And, you know, DS9, um, for, for a large part, uh, tend not to rely upon it. Yeah, you, said, you certainly did not see that sort of technobabble at Battlestar. I mean, they, they avoided tech as much as possible, even the way they structured the Galactica. So, Oh, yeah, like an old World War II battle wagon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was deliberate. I mean, I mean, I know it was deliberate, and it looked great. And I still love that phone that Adama used to carry you know, or had on the, on the, in the command center, you know, that, that phone with the cord on it. <laughs> yeah, something you just don't expect to see in sci-fi usually. Very, very it was definitely more low tech, but I, I, I think what he did was he, you know, we're start man. I, I love Star Trek, always will. But almost the the tech becomes too much par- part of the story. Where in in uh, BSG, it just it helped. You know, if if it needed to help tell the story, you know, it, it would, but it wouldn't upstage the characters or or the plot or anything. I think so, and I, I mean, I, and I, again, I think that's. I don't think he was trying to be insulting or dismissive of star trek i mean i mean dex gen and voyager kind of fell into a formula where they had you know these sorts of plot lines that relied a lot on science and and quote technology to to get by where i don't think that was just that wasn't the type of story he preferred to tell uh Mm -hmm. he preferred stories that relied on the characters and their wits and uh you know it's just a storytelling preference i don't think he meant anything disrespectful by those comments and i i think he kind of glossed it over a little bit for 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 the effect in that venue right so. right anyways before we go here dayton why don't you go ahead and uh, tell people where they can find you how they can follow you on twitter and where they can go ahead and buy those books you write well you can find my books at any uh major bookstore chain borders barnes and noble walden books if they still have those uh and of course amazon.com and you can find me on the web at daytonmore.com and from there, I have a gateway that will lead you to all the social networking sites that I am stalking, you know, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, MySpace. Uh, I'm out there as Dayton Ward on all those uh, venues. Good, I keep good. it simple. And just look for the screaming avatar. You'll, you'll, you know, I, I have the same avatar on all those apps. So Yeah, it's quite frightening when you see it. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight, Dayton. Uh, we appreciate having you on. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we'll take care. Dude. Yeah, we'll chat soon. Thanks. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Dayton Ward. He is just such an awesome guy just to chat with. Uh, for me, this was a pleasure. I mean, I love the Star Trek novels, and I got to talk to one of the authors. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, absolutely. And if you did not get enough of Dayton Ward, we kind of, I don't know if we mentioned it during our podcast or uh, our interview with him or not, but we are having him back on uh, somewhere about the second week of November to talk about the Star Trek DVD release and what we're looking forward to in that. So you're going to hear more of him. So hope you like them. Uh, as far as that goes, anything we talked about in the show tonight, you can find in our show notes at scifidinerpodcast.com and giving you more than we can ever give you in the show. And in fact, also gives you a chance for discuss for discussion. We mentioned that with Dayton Ward, that we had a huge discussion going on about tech and what that means in writing Star Trek. It's an opportunity to kind of interact with us as your host, but also uh, with many times other people that we have on the show that are also kind of interacting on that board. So uh, down below the show notes, you always find a place for you to respond to that. And, and, and please go to iTunes and uh, give us a five-star review. That'll uh, give us a little more um, visibility and uh, maybe some more listeners will check us out. So uh, please, yeah. please visit iTunes and, and give us a review. Yeah, in fact, uh, we're thinking or there's an iTunes contest in the world. But we would love to have your review left on iTunes. And boy, it just helps give us a little bit more visibility and makes more people aware of us. And why not tell a friend about us? A friend who likes sci-fi? We are your general TV, movie, sci-fi show in general. So it's just great. We just want the family to grow. Absolutely. And uh, Miles, we have a store, don't we? We do. Please check out uh, mysci-fi-store.com at Amazon. Uh, you will see many uh, good sci-fi stuff, uh, books, DVDs, and um, the prices are very competitive. So uh, you, you'll find some savings there. And in shopping there, you will also help uh, out the Sci-Fi Diner. Um, 
help us with some of the expenses of just hosting the show and uh, maybe uh, if they have to replace any equipment, that sort of thing. But so uh, Christmas is coming up. Um, so you, you probably see something there. Uh, some, somebody might like uh, for Christmas. A great place to buy a Christmas gift and support our podcast. And you can also donate directly for that. There's a, if you go to our buysci-fi-diner.podcast.com, there's a, uh, a support page that you can actually support the show. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, the Sci-Fi Diner Twitter is, of course, uh, twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. But you can follow me personally on Twitter. My name is Scott Herzog. I go by Herzog in Twitter, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. You can also follow, you can follow me there. And Miles? I am Son of Worf at Twitter. Yeah, so that always works. Also, please uh, uh, prove your geek cred. Show us what you got. Show, show what other sci-fi friends have uh, by answering the trivia question. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, a worthy prize. A worthy prize this week if you do that. Our, e- our email, of course, is sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can phone in your trivia question or anything you want to talk about, your review of a movie you saw or what you think of Flash Forward or SGU or anything like that. Phone in. It's toll-free if you're here in the U.S. And that's 1-888-508-4343. And if you aren't in the U.S. and you can record an MP3 audio file, send it to us on Twitter. Send it to us on our email. We want to play it on the show. We would love to play it on the show. And I believe that's about it, Miles. Good evening. It was a great evening. Yes, and to all of you, uh, good night and good luck. Yep, we'll see you.